everybody should have a place, regardless of gender or anything else. Everybody should have a place to find refuge, and that's where we started a couple of weeks ago. David, uh, uh, David was running for his life. He had been given a promise by God that he would be the next king, the present king, the current king at that time. He didn't like that promise, and he set out to kill David. David was running for his life. He was hiding in the cave of Adullam, and it was in the cave of Adullam that he poured out his heart to God. It was a place of, of rest, of, of comfort, and refreshing. And then we talked about Moses last uh, two weeks ago, and uh, Moses gave us a lesson as well. He didn't have a man cave, but he had a burning bush. He had an experience with God, but his lesson really was this, Lord, teach Teach us to number our days that we may apply our heart to wisdom. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered. And we find something that is, uh, uh, first of all, instructive to us because we don't normally live this way. And that's why, that's why Moses said this, Lord, teach us, teach us. Help us to see, help us to understand the limited time that we have because you have a purpose for our life. You have a reason that we exist. You have a reason that we are here. And so help us to use that time to the very best of our ability. And then last week we talked a little bit about, uh, for those of you that were here, we, we, we kind of shifted gears just a little bit and, and, and there's something about about wanting to be in a man cave to, or be in that place of refuge, that place of contemplation, that place that we begin to uh, you know, look inward at times as well as look upward uh, towards the heavenly father. And we were talking about conflict and, and how that conflict at times can come into our life. And, and many times conflict happens not because somebody else is mean, not because somebody else is ugly, not because, I, I don't mean ugly you know, physically, I mean being ugly towards us, not because somebody is, is inspired by the devil, but because something's going on on the inside of us and we need to learn to watch for the warning signals. We need to learn to watch for what's going on on the inside. That's what James was writing when he said, uh, where do wars and fightings come from among you? Do they not come from things that are going on on the inside of you? You have a desire on the inside of you and that desire doesn't happen and because it doesn't happen, there's an emotional response and a reaction that causes you to lash out, but it all starts on the inside. And so we, we were talking about that and as we mentioned that, we <clears throat> gave you a couple of lessons from the man cave that, that it's very important for us to understand that, that when, when conflict, particularly conflict in a church or in ministry happens, it causes us to lose sight of ministry. When conflict happens in your life, the, you, begin, you begin to be consumed with how you're feeling and what's going on in your situation. But when that happens, it causes you to lose sight of the greater purpose and the greater ministry that God has given to you. And that is, as Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have been commissioned by God. We have been sent by God into this world. And so that's really what I want to talk to us about this morning, because as we began this series about lessons from the man cave, we're talking about a place of refuge, a place of comfort, a place of introspection. But how many of you know that you, we can get really comfortable, I can't kick this seat back right now because it's against the wall, but it, it can get really comfortable like this, can't it? Hello? I mean, to be totally honest with you, I think as Christians, sometimes we would appreciate and prefer to be able to just rest back on our blessed assurances and just not have life bother us too much. And, you know, not have a lot of stress, not have a lot of conflict, not have a lot of problems. And, and, and at times, if we adopt this idea, if we adopt this mentality, the Bible says that we are pilgrims and sojourners on this earth. We're not to be settlers, we're to be moving forward. We're to be moving towards God in that sense. We're to be moving about the Father's business. And so as we work through this, I, I, I want to 
I, I want to, well, I got several scriptures to share with you first, and then I want to make a point, and we're going to probably do some things that we haven't done around here for a long time, or perhaps ever, I don't know, but um, there's some things that I want to share with you this morning, because there's a danger with the idea of the man cave, and the danger of the man cave is that it's so comfortable, and, and again, doesn't necessarily have to be a spot in your house that we call the man cave. It could be the lake, as we've heard. It could be the garden, as we've heard. It can be, you know, a, 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 a war room, as we heard. It can be all of those things. That's all well, and that's good. But the, the danger of that place of refuge is that it's a place that's also free of conflict. It's free of strife. It's free of pressure. It's free of opposition. It's free of a lot of things. And so therefore we gravitate towards that space. In fact, we would rather spend time there than anywhere else. And there's a danger that comes with that, that I think that we have to be aware of. And and, and because that's not the father's heart. That's not, we, we just sang about, you know, God is a good father. Thank God for that. But that's not the father's heart. The father's heart was expressed in John 3.16. Many of you can quote it. Many of you know what that says. John 3.16, for God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We can quote that, but the 17th verse goes on to say this. God sent the son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. God sent Jesus with a purpose. God sent Jesus with a job in mind, and that job that he had in mind was to step into a place of conflict, to step into a place that was heated, that was ugly, that was going the wrong way. God sent him there to reveal his love, but to bring salvation to planet Earth. He sent him with a purpose. John 3, 8, the first part of it says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was sent by God to this planet to bring salvation and to undo what the devil had done when, when humanity, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and humanity was plunged into the law of sin and death. And so everything that we read and see about Jesus, he was always about the father's business. He had a mission. He said, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. I, I, I'm about my father's business. But what I want you to see in all of this Read this verse, John 20, verse 21 says this. Jesus said to them again, this is the Good News Bible. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. This is, this is right after the resurrection. Jesus had appeared to them. They were flipping out because here was Jesus alive. It says, peace be with you as the Father sent me, so send I you. I want to read that again. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. In the same way the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And and, and I want you to understand something. Certainly, God sent Jesus with a purpose. God sent Jesus with a task. God sent Jesus with a mission. Jesus responded to that with obedience, and he did. He perfectly fulfilled the Father's will. But... We need to understand something as well, that God has sent you in the same way that he sent Jesus. In fact, I want you to just take a moment and say this out loud after me. God sent me. Look at the person next to you say, God sent you. Look at the person on the other side say, God sent you. 
All right. Now, there are some people who might want to argue a little bit or say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Brian, I understand kind of what you're saying, but you need to understand that Jesus was talking about and to the disciples. He said that he is sending the disciples with the same mission that he was sent with. Well, I, I get that. I, I understand that there was certainly another uh, aspect of that. There's a, the, the call of apostleship was a little bit different on those that might be upon everybody else. It was a, a, a ministry gift. I don't want to rank them in order of like one's more important than the other, but there was a, a greater anointing, if you will, a greater empowerment for them to operate as, a, as an apostle. But listen to these words of Jesus, and I've chosen the, the message to read it because we tend, times, we tend sometimes that when we begin to hear a scripture that we've heard before in a way that we've heard it before, our mind sort of clicks in and interrupts us and says, oh yeah, I've heard that before, and we just sort of think that we already know what it says. And so I want to read this from the message. This is in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone that you meet far and near in this way of life, making them uh, by baptism, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then, now he's commissioned the disciples. He says, I want you to do this. The Apostles then instruct them, the them are the ones that they have preached to, the them are the ones that they've baptized, instruct them in the practice of all, everybody say all, that I have commanded you. I will be with you as you do this day after day after day right up until the end of the age. Jesus said, God has sent me, I'm sending you. And one of the things that he said to the disciples was this. He said, as I'm sending you, I want you to go into the world. I want you to preach good news. The good news is that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again. He is now alive. That's the good news. He said, I'm sending you, I'm commissioning you, and I want you to go and tell everybody this wonderful message of what I have done for you. And when you're telling the message, I want you to teach them, and I want you to instruct them. I want you to tell them to do everything that I've told you to do. And that's a long roundabout way for me to tell you that you have been commissioned the same way that the disciples have, the same way that the apostles have, the same way that the hundreds and hundreds of millions of Christians before you from the time of Jesus until the time of right now have been commissioned to go into the world and bring the good news of the gospel, a living Savior, to the world that we live in. And so I've been stuck on this phrase, (laughs) When Jesus said, I'm sending you the same way that I've been sent. And I've been thinking about that. What does that really mean? I don't think that we can escape the fact or the idea that God has sent you, that God expects you to respond and act like the disciples or the apostles respond and act. He wants us to go into a world as wonderful as it would be for us to live in an existence that there's very little conflict, very little issues, very little problems, and we sort of have our safe space, our place of refuge, our place of comfort. Wonderful as that is, that's not the reality that God has for us. And it is up to you and it's up to me to wrestle with this thought, I'm sending you the same way that I've been sent. As I've been sent, I'm sending you. What does that mean? First of all, the word sent one, that idea is the word apostle or in the Greek apostolos. Uh, And there's basically four things that it means. Number one, it means to send out from oneself. In its most simple form, 
If Shelly's over here in the front row, and if I said to Shelly, Shelly, I, I left something upstairs in my office. Could you quick run and get that for me? Because I, I need it right now. That's a, she's a sent one. She's on a task. She, she would be walking through here, and, and there might be people that want to engage her and talk to her and do different things. She says, I'll, I'll be right back, but I need to get this right now. I'll be, be right back. And, and so she's a sent one. And so that's what that means. But, but it, it means four different things. To, it's to send out from one's self. So I've gone to Shelly, she's been here in my presence, if you will, and now she's been sent out from someone else. It means to furnish with credentials. I've commissioned you, you get to be rude to people right now for a few seconds. There's people that want to talk to you, I know, but you, if you could just hurry up and get this for me, that would be great. And, and maybe I should be using a different person because she might tell me, wait a minute, no, I can't be mean, I can't be rude. And, and, uh, but anyway, it, it, means, it means to be furnished with credentials. I have authority to act, I have authority to go, I have authority to do. That's what it means to be a sent one. It means to be commissioned to act as one's representative. You're not going in your name. You're going in the name of the one who sent you. And so when Jesus said, I've commissioned you or I'm sending you the way that I've been sent, he's gone. He's expecting you to operate with his credentials. When you do what you do and when you say what you say and when you operate the way that you do, you're not operating as you. You're operating as a child of God. You're operating as a son or daughter of the most high God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You go with his authority, with his blessing, and with his power. It means an ability to accomplish a certain mission. You see, if we try to live this Christian life in our own strength, in our own ability, and sadly, unfortunately, we gravitate towards this too much. We try to do the supernatural and the impossible. We try to do this Christian life, which is so difficult and hard at times to do. But we try to do it in our own strength. But God sent the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us. God sent his spirit to dwell among us. He sent his presence. He sent his representative. God indwells you. And you've been granted authority and you've been equipped with power to do what God says for you to do. My question to you this morning is, do you really believe that? And my thought for you this morning is, what does it really mean? Because we have to wrestle with this church. We have to wrestle with what does this truly mean to respond to Christ in the way that he asked us to respond to him. I'm sending you. I expect you to do this. I've got some passion in my heart this morning because there are things that are heavy on my heart this morning that I want to get to you. And so if you're a guest with us this morning, I'm usually really, really nice, smiley, and have a lot of fun. But I'm commissioned this morning. I'm sent with a purpose this morning. I have something burning on the inside of me this morning. I want to, I want to talk to you. And I want to use this illustration or a story that happened with the disciples and it's found over in the book of Matthew chapter 17. This is a very practical example. <clears throat> It's called the, the transfiguration of Jesus. Something happened on the mountain. And, and I want to go through several scriptures. This really kind of is part one. We'll finish part two of our six-part series. I don't know. It's kind of a series within a series right here these next two weeks that we, we talk. But in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother. Now, I, I don't know. When I read these things, I just get little picture bubbles. I think things, you know. How many of you are early Star Trek fans? Four of you, good. All right, no, several of you are. So, so do you remember when, when Captain Kirk would be, he, he's going to go to some planet, and he would, you know, he would say, all right, you know, uh, Bones and Scotty, you're going to beam down to the planet with me. Well, you knew something was going to happen. But if it was like Bones and Scotty and 
three people that you've never heard of before? Uh, Peters and Johnson and Smith. Well, you knew it wasn't going to turn out real well for those three guys. I mean, they weren't coming back. He just knew it. It's like, you know, he always had his favorite people that he brought with him. But then if it was some odd person you never see, saw before, you go, well, okay, they're going to get turned into a little salt block or something like something, something bad's going to happen. But anyway, <laughs> it's not going to be good. Well, here's Jesus and Jesus picked Peter, James, and John. And I wonder, how did the other apostles feel about that? I mean, can you imagine them sitting back at the camp? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Always Peter, James, and John. I ne- Thaddeus, do you ever get to go anywhere? No, I never get to go. What about you, Thomas? I doubt I ever get to. I don't ever get to go anywhere. Peter, James, John. Peter, James, John. Peter, it's always Peter, James, and John. Might be more than you want to know in my little head right there. Now, after six days, G- Jesus took Peter, James, John. And his, his brother. And he led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Something supernatural happened up on the mountain. He was transfigured before them. We say, Pastor Ron, what does transfigured mean? Well, let me tell you. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. In other words, the presence of God was so strong upon him that he lit up, that he glowed. He glowed with the light of God, and, and something was happening. And so this is awesome. Peter, James, and I say, wow, this is awesome. This is cool. We are up here. Poor disciples, man, dumb guys, they ain't seeing nothing. This is so awesome. Can't wait to go back and tell them and just sort of gloat just a little bit. And it says, and behold, so now it gets better. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus or with him. So now it's like, woohoo, this is really awesome. Not just is Jesus glowing like a glow stick, but now we got, you know, two of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. This is so awesome. Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And then Peter answered and, Peter answered and said to Jesus, I, I, I don't know why, but when I read that, Peter answered, I don't know that anybody's even talking to Peter. <laughs> Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Woo-hoo, Jesus, this is awesome. This is better than a man cave. This is better than a burning bush. I mean, this is awesome. It's good for us to be here. I mean, this is a party now. Moses is here. Elijah is here. This is awesome. It is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three man caves. Three tabernacles. Three dwelling places. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Basically, Peter is saying, this is so awesome. God's presence is here in such a a powerful way. Let's stay right here. Let's camp out. Let's build some tents. Let's build some houses. Let's build some places so we can stay right here. And church, that's a settler's mentality that says, I want to stay where it's comfortable. I want to stay where it's happening. I don't want to move from this place. And can I tell you this morning that there is a danger to be where God used to be. It is dangerous to find yourself in a place that God used to be in rather than in the place that he's moving you towards. Verse 5. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear him. Now, I don't know how long this entire thing happened. It might have been a few seconds, it might have been minutes, it might have been an hour, nobody, we're not given that information, but, but what, it seems to, what seems to appear to me is that as soon as it happened, it was over. Because they hear this voice, verse 6, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and they were greatly afraid. 
But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And there they were, on the mountain again, with Jesus alone. Eater, 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 where'd everything else go? What happened? And so now they're journeying back down the mountain, and I'm sure that their heads are spinning, and they have all these different thoughts going on all around them. Wow, did, what was that? And they're kind of like, man, I can't wait to get back there and tell everybody what happened, because this was the most incredible thing. Verse 9. Jesus is so mean. Verse 9, now as they came down the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. You've experienced one of the most incredible things that you've ever experienced. Now don't tell anybody about it. Because he knew, the, I think maybe Jesus knew the other disciples, Peter, James, and John, there they are with their big story again. Just didn't want that around camp. No, I don't know. I don't know exactly why. But apparently they did tell because it's written down now. And so, so, so Jesus kind of pops their bu- bubbles. Some things happen. And they get to the bottom of the mountain. And this is kind of the heart of what I want to share with you this morning. They get to the bottom of the mountain, verse 14. And when they had come, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers severely, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. I brought him to your disciples. I brought him to your followers. I brought him to the one that you said, as I'm sending, as I've been sent, I'm sending you, and I'm commissioning you, and I'm giving you the ability and the power to do. I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't do one stinking thing for him. (laughs) Verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, I don't think he was speaking to the person that was afflicted. I don't think he was speaking to the Father. I think he was speaking to his disciples when he said, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. I thoroughly believe that Jesus expected that his disciples would be able to do something about this situation. I thoroughly believe that Jesus expected for his disciples, those who had been following him, those who had been with him, those who had watched him, those who had learned of him, those who had broken bread with him, I thoroughly believe that that Jesus expected them to be able to do something. He says, bring him here to me, verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. Verse 19, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus, why couldn't we do anything? Why couldn't we do anything? Here was this person who brought his afflicted child to us and we couldn't do anything at all. Now, the reason I said that to you this morning and I I say it hopefully with that kind of weight is because I think that that is a question that we all need to begin to look at amongst ourselves. Why is it that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ at times seems so ineffective? Why is it that we as Christians who have been sent and commissioned in the same way that Jesus was commissioned and sent, why is it that it seems like we really can't do anything at all. 
And I have a couple of answers I think that perhaps many Christians haven't been taught that either they need to or should or that they can. We've been led to believe that there's only certain people that can maybe do something about those situations that are around us or those impossible, difficult situations. But the question remains, why couldn't we cast him out? Why couldn't we handle it? Why couldn't we do something about it? Jesus gives an answer, and this is part of what we're going to talk about next week. Verse 20, he said, so Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Now, people don't like that today. We would rather pray, oh, God, if it's your will. Well, it must not have been his will. Or we don't even know that we can have perhaps liberty and freedom from these kinds of things. We've been undertaught at times. The disciples, again, verse 19, they came to Jesus privately and asked, why couldn't we cast it out? Verse 20, and Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. And the you that he was talking to, the disciples, they were sent into the world to instruct you and to, send, and to instruct me in a way or the way in which we should walk. So, a question that we have to wrestle with, two of them this morning, that I want you to think about. What does it mean to be sent like Jesus was sent? And why is it that it seems like we can't do anything? What does it mean to be sent in the way that Jesus was sent? And why can't we do anything? And Jesus responded, one of the reasons that you can't do anything is because of your unbelief. Your, uh, unbelief is a decision to not believe something. Steph mentioned earlier, we exist as a church. We want to help you know God. We also want to help you find freedom. We also want you to discover the gift and the purpose in your life. And we want you to make a difference. That is the, not just unique to Joy Christian Center. That is the commandment, the call, the commission of the body of Christ. And until we start to think like we are children of God and act like we are children of God, until we begin to do that, we will never, ever be the difference makers that God wants us to be. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? <clears throat> Why couldn't we do anything? Now, I... I've really thought a lot about this, <clears throat> and I, I just need to say a couple of things. I, I, I want to, in fact, I don't want to miss what I have to say. <sighs> this last week has been interesting in the great nation of America, has it not? Which started out with Independence Day on Monday has turned into tragedy by today. We have the killing of two black men, one right here in Minnesota. We have the execution of five police officers in Dallas. We have rioting and things that happened overnight in St. Paul, officers injured there. We have a mess in America right now, and I don't know if you're, you know, and this is one of the, we'd love to just escape to the man cave, wouldn't we? The place of refuge, sort of let some of these things go. We have uh, the director of the FBI who laid out a case of guilt that refused or, or found a reason to not indict, and all throughout America, I think there's a cry for justice. We want somebody to right the wrongs. And it doesn't matter, it, to me, it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you, you, that you were on. Everybody's angry, everybody's upset, and there is this cry for this need of justice as well as vengeance. 
revenge. I, I want to get back at somebody for something. Our nation, I think, is beyond a boiling point and a powder keg. If you're familiar with the principle of the tipping point, the tipping point is that point where I remember at the Benton County Fair this ride that you paid money to work your butt off and, and, and you through, through momentum and you wait, you tried to get this thing. How many remember you tried to get this little cage thing to get around and it would go like this, you, you know, it's like a swing and eventually get to that point right at the top and it would kind of hover there for a second and then go all the way back and then come around and hang there. And, and, and the tipping point was when it just broke that plane and began its downward ascent, making a full circle and, and, and it was, it hung there for a little bit and then it accelerated and just went down. And I think we're past the tipping point. We're in the acceleration phase and whatever is going to be is going to be. I'm pretty sure we're not going back to what was. I don't mean to be discouraging this morning, but it feels to me as though things are spiraling out of control. And Jesus has left you and me at the bottom of the mountain. And there are people that are crying out, why can't you do something? Why can't something be done? And Jesus is expecting us to do something. And perhaps it's our unbelief that is stopping us. You see, <clears throat> how many of you know the Bible says this? The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Amen? We wrestle against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That's where our wrestling match should be. I have no idea what it is like to live as a black man here in the United States of America. And because I don't know what it would be like, it's wrong for me to comment and to think that I would know exactly what I would do in situations that they would encounter. Because I don't really have a point of reference for that. I don't know what it's like to strap on the blue to serve and to protect. And so it's wrong for me to say how I would respond in a difficult situation. Because I don't know how I would respond. I'd like to think that I'd have my act together. I'd like to think that I would know exactly what to do. But to be totally bluntly honest with you, you and I, we don't know how, would we, how we would respond. And so we have to be careful that we don't interject our opinion of how wonderful we are. Because that's not our job. And remember, last week we mentioned this when we were talking about conflict. Remember that there's always at least one more thing that you don't know anything about. Before you rush to judgment, before you rush to, you know, put ourselves on our high horses of what we would do, remember, always one more thing that you don't know anything about. And it's really easy for us today in our, in our connected society to cherry pick what we would do and what we wouldn't do. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. How many of you ever watched bullfighting? Nobody. Okay. All right. All right. One of you has. How many of you know that, that if you would look at the bull, it is faster, it is stronger, probably smarter, <laughs> because the bull is getting into, you know, the bull is in the, I mean, you got the, the matador who is, you know, dressed in tights with a, ro with a cape and a hat. He's not as strong as the bull is, not as powerful, not as fast, not as agile. But how many of you know that that bull loses every single, almost every, I guess, there was one matador it didn't turn out too well for. But, but, but 
the bull almost always loses. Do you want to know why that bull loses? It isn't because the bull isn't stronger. It isn't because it's not faster. It's because the bull doesn't know who its enemy is. If the bull knew that the enemy was the matador and not the cape, it would be over. And I think the devil knows that we are a bull. The devil knows that we are strong like a bull. And so he's trying to get us to chase the cape. Because once we recognize who our enemy is, it's over for the enemy. Because God's commissioned you and he's given you his life and his power to make a difference. So, that's the worship team to come this morning. We're going to close out this message a little bit differently today. Uh, slides, we're going to go to Mark chapter 3, verse 13. We need to learn to address a spiritual deficit. You and I, we need to learn to address a spiritual deficit. When Jesus sent us, he commissioned us. When he sent us as he himself was sent, the idea of apostleship means to be sent from one's presence. Sent from one's presence. Before you'll ever speak to anybody about God, you need to speak to God about people. You need to spend time with him. Listen to this in Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. And when he went up into a mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, they came to him. And then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. When God chose the disciples, when Jesus responded to that and began to instruct and to teach them, we here go into all the world and preach the gospel. We understand that was the ultimate commission, but before that commission was given, he said, I want them to spend time with me so they can go out with me. Church, if you haven't spent time with him, you have nothing to give anybody else. You cannot, you cannot take somebody someplace you've never been any more than you can come back from someplace you've never been. If you've never been in the presence of God, you'll never be able to take people there with you. If you've not been touched by God, then it is difficult for you to touch other people with the power of God. That's what religion teaches us to do, but Christianity is a relationship. So here's what I want us to do this morning.